Well, those of you that have been around Northbrook for any length of time know that I love sports. And uh, in this season of life, uh, what's really fun is being able to coach all of our kids in the various sports that they play. Uh, well, a number of years ago, I was coaching my daughter's softball team over the summer, and I knew I'd be coaching her team, and so I wouldn't be able to also head coach my son's baseball team. Uh, There's too much overlap in the schedules, and so uh, I said that I would be an assistant coach for his team when I was available. So uh, they assigned him a head coach. I'd never heard of this guy. I'd never met him before. And uh, so he sent out, the, the, my son's head coach sent out this email to all the parents, you know, introducing himself. It was this long email, very in-depth, very direct. And I read through the whole email, and I got done, and I thought to myself, I don't like this guy. <laughs> Never get a feeling, you know, just, just one email is all it took. I was like, I don't like this guy. So uh, first couple of practices uh, for my son's team, I c- couldn't make them. I was coaching my daughter's team. And so, uh, my, you know, my son went to the practices, came back, and I had him report to me on what they did, you know, what happened during the practice. And my son explained, you know, what they did. It was very different from what I would have done. And I thought to myself, yeah, I really don't like this guy. And so I was like, all right, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So we got into the games. And uh, I was able to make most of the games. So I got to the first couple games. And, of course, I was the assistant, so I was letting him do his thing and be the head coach. And I quickly realized that he was nowhere near as competitive as I am. He was much more laid back. And I thought to myself, yep, I don't like this guy. But as the year went on, he became undeniably, undoubtedly, my son's favorite coach. With the exception of me, of course. And I had to admit, by the end of the year, that he was a a great coach, but more than that, a great human being, and I had misjudged him. You ever have a moment where you realize that maybe your initial impression of someone wasn't accurate? You had to rethink how you viewed someone? Or maybe as time went on, they changed or your opinion changed? When my wife and I started youth ministry 17 years ago, we were at a small church, about 12 students to start off with, and all the students were great, with the exception of one middle school boy. This middle school boy was difficult. He was rude, he didn't listen, he was disrespectful, he distracted the other kids, and I got to a point where I just started to really pray for him, and I said, Lord, change his heart. Or change the youth ministry he attends. I don't care which. (laughs) And as time went on, he continued to show up in my youth ministry. And I started to learn his story. Difficult home life. Bullied at school. Low self-esteem. And though none of that justified his actions, what that did as I began to learn his story was it it helped me begin to see him differently. It, It birthed in me compassion. For this young man. And he continued to come to our youth group, and by his senior year, he was actually one of my favorite students. We're in week two of our Run the Race series. Last week, we looked at the opportunity we have to be a part of what God's doing in the world. We, we, we talked about how each and every day we wake up with this anticipation that we get to be a part of bringing God's kingdom down to earth. And that's great, but this week, this week we're going to talk about 
in bringing God's kingdom down to earth, there's this invitation from God to see people as he sees them. There's this invitation from God that is quite difficult, actually, and it is to look at the people around us not as inconveniences or enemies, but as opportunities to show God's love. On the race of life, we all interact with difficult people who rub us the wrong way, who get in our way, or in some cases just seem to want to sabotage our race. And the question we're going to wrestle with today is, how does God want us to view those people, the difficult people in our life? Now, I know many of you have no difficult people in your life, so you don't have to pay attention. But for the rest of us that have difficult people in our life, we're going to wrestle with what does God call us to do and how are we to view those people. So I want to start with a story that is in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story. We're going to read it out of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark seems to include the most details in this story. So Mark chapter 1, verse 40 is where we're going to start. So Mark writes, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Let's stop there. Let's talk about leprosy. Leprosy was a broad uh, word that covered a multitude of diseases in Jesus' day multitude of skin diseases. Uh, but the most common form of leprosy in Jesus' day was uh, a horrific disease that uh, ate away at your body. Uh, it would be extremely painful at first, and then eventually the disease would eat away at your nerve endings, and so your extremities would become numb. And because your extremities were numb, it was very common for lepers to hurt themselves and not even realize they'd hurt themselves. For imagine, p- imagine picking up something that's extremely hot and not realizing it's hot. Or uh, uh, stubbing your toe or, or cutting yourself and not realizing that you've done it. So uh, leprosy was an extremely painful disease at first, and then your extremities became numb, and eventually leprosy would kill you. It was a slow, painful, humiliating disease. But if that wasn't bad enough, leprosy was also very contagious, So as soon as you were diagnosed with leprosy, you would have to leave your friends and family. You would have to live outside of your village, either alone or with other lepers for the rest of your life. And if that wasn't bad enough, leprosy was also seen as a curse given to you by God. The religious community believed that if you came down with leprosy, you were being punished by God for something you or your family did. And so there was no need for compassion or sympathy or kindness from the religious community because if you had leprosy, you were getting what you deserved. In fact, religious leaders in Jesus' day uh, put lepers in the same category as tax collectors and prostitutes. We have on record one religious leader in Jesus' day saying that he wouldn't eat or buy food that was purchased on a street where there was a leper. We have another religious leader in Jesus' day boasting that any time he saw a leper, he would pick up rocks and throw them at that leper. So imagine finding out that you had leprosy, realizing that your life was just going to be one painful day after the next until you would die, that you were going to have to leave your friends and family, and even your religious community was going to turn their backs on you. If your pastor saw you, he would pick up rocks and throw them at you. Now, thankfully, we all know Pastor Mike has terrible aim, but still. (laughs) 
So a leper comes before Jesus. He stands in Jesus' presence. And even, in, even by doing so, he disrespects Jesus. Jesus was in his rights as a religious leader, as a rabbi, to pick up rocks and throw them at this leper. But this leper is just that desperate that he doesn't care. So he shows up in front of Jesus. And let's see what happens. Continuing on, verse 41, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. So instead of throwing rocks, Jesus is moved with compassion. He sees past the labels and the judgments and the cultural assumptions. And he sees a human being created in God's image. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, how much better a video. And I love the way that the video series, The Chosen, portrays how this scene might have happened. So take a look at this short video. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. Ah! It's a leopard. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. I knew it. 
I knew it. I knew it. What can I, what can I ever do? Do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor? Please just do me this one thing. But what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> I love how they depict the fear of the disciples and the compassion of Jesus. And it's so fascinating that Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man. Jesus doesn't have to touch him to heal him. We see plenty of instances of miracles where Jesus just says a word and someone is healed, sometimes miles away. But Jesus loves this man, has so much compassion for him that he doesn't just heal him, but he reaches out and he touches him. And in this beautiful moment, this man who was, who, who culture said was touched and cursed by God is now touched and healed by God. It's beautiful, beautiful moment. It's a beautiful story. But I think it's so easy to hear that story and fail to make the jump to how that story applies to our lives, to your life, to my life. Because none of us come in contact with lepers in 2023. But we all have lepers in our lives. We all have people that we label, that we judge, that we try to avoid, that we feel righteous and justified in picking up our metaphorical rocks and hurling at them. We all have lepers in our lives, and today the question is, what does God invite us to do, and how does God want us to see those people? Typically, when I go running, uh, I go running early in the morning on back country roads by my house. And like most runners, I run on the left side of the road so I can see cars coming at me. And uh, because I run on country roads, there's not a, a big shoulder. And so when a car is coming towards me, one of two things has to happen. Either I have to get off uh, into practically the ditch um, or the car coming at me has to move over into oncoming lane of traffic. Um, and so for years, I would make it a habit. If I saw a car coming towards me and I saw them move over, I would always wave and try to smile if I wasn't too exhausted, uh, just to acknowledge and thank them. Uh, and then if I saw a car coming towards me and they didn't get over, I would try to give them a dirty look. Now, it didn't really work going 60 miles an hour, but I would get really annoyed. I think not so nice thoughts about the driver. And this, this went on for years. And a couple of years ago, I'll never forget, I was on a run and uh, a car came over a hill and was coming at me and he didn't get over. And immediately I just started to get annoyed and I started to think all these mean thoughts towards the driver, things you're not going to, shouldn't say in church. 
And just as I was thinking those thoughts, a car from the other direction behind me came flying by. And in that moment, I realized what had happened. I realized that the reason that the car coming at me didn't get over into the other lane was because he couldn't. There was a car coming the other way. If he had gotten over, he would have gotten to a crash. And he didn't slow down because he had just come over a hill and he didn't see me until the last second. And so while I had initially been really annoyed and irritated and been thinking all these things about him, it really wasn't his fault at all. And in that moment, I felt the very clear voice of the Holy Spirit say, John, you love to get annoyed at cars that don't get over, but you don't always see the big picture. So how about instead of picking and choosing who you wave at, you just smile and wave at everyone? And in that moment, God wasn't talking to me about cars and running. He was talking to me about my life. Because I, I love to get annoyed and irritated at people and I feel justified in my annoyance. I love to divide people into to groups, people that are worthy of love and compassion and kindness and people that are not worthy of love and compassion and kindness. And in that moment, I heard the very clear voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, John, how about you stop trying to use your superior intellect to divide people into groups? And how about you just love everyone as I love them? How does God love me? Well, he loves me freely and deeply, and it has nothing to do with anything I've done. I don't earn God's love. I receive God's love as a gift. And because I receive God's love as a gift, you know, we just sing these beautiful songs. Christ is my firm foundation. Jesus paid it all. And guess what? That had nothing to do with your week. It had nothing to do with how, how good you were this week. You didn't earn Jesus paying it all. You didn't earn Christ being your firm foundation. You were given that as a gift, regardless of what you did this week. And if God is willing to graciously give that to you, regardless of your behavior this week, he invites us to show that same grace and love to the people in our lives that are difficult to love. So in the time that we have left, I just want to, I want to make this as practical and simple as possible. So I'm going to give you three next steps, and we're going to go through these very quickly in the time we have left. So number one, see past the labels. We label people. I'm sure you can think of people in your life that you've labeled, that obnoxious neighbor, the difficult coworker, the rude classmate, that family member. And you've labeled them. And that label is what you see when you, when you see them walk into your life or walk into your day. That label immediately comes to mind and it changes how you interact with them. And I wonder what it would look like this week to see past the labels. Much, like, much as Jesus saw past the label of a leper to a person created in God's image, I wonder what it would look like to get rid of that label and replace it with another label. And the label that you replace it with is this label, loved by God. There's my neighbor, created in the image of God and loved by God. There's my coworker, created in the image of God and loved by God. There's my classmate, created in the image of God and loved by God. There's my family member, created in the image of God and loved by God. See past the labels. Secondly, to push past excuses. 
Whenever we attempt to love difficult people, we as human beings, we come up with really good reasons why we don't need to love them. It's amazing how great our minds are, right? The second we see someone that's difficult to love and we're like, maybe I should be kind to them. Maybe I should show them compassion. Maybe I should reach out. Our mind comes up with a hundred really good reasons why we don't need to. The disciples had a lot of good reasons not to approach the leper. They had scientific reasons. They had religious reasons. But Jesus pushed past the reasons and the excuses to love the individual. And as we go through our week, we're going to have to push past the excuses and the reasons. And here's what I want to challenge you to do, because here's what we can do. When we, when we have someone that's difficult in our life, we gather witnesses against them. We go to our friends and our family members and we go, can you believe that person? And they go, yeah, I can't believe that person. You're justified in your annoyance. You're justified in your anger. They're, they're, they're crazy. And here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's my challenge. This week, don't go to friends. Don't go to family members. Talk to God. Go to, the, go to God and allow the Holy Spirit to tell you how to interact with that person. Ask God to give you wisdom. Because I get it. Situations are complicated and there's such a thing as having healthy boundaries and, and there's a lot of things that go into our relationships. That's not always as simple and black and white as just, well, you got to be kind and love everyone. But instead of going to people that are just going to confirm your way of thinking, go to your Heavenly Father and ask your Heavenly Father, what would it look like for me to love this person this week? Father, how do you want me to interact with this person? Thirdly, be willing to pay the price. You know, I like to think that when I do the right thing, if I show kindness and compassion and love to someone, that that should change them. That they should interact differently with me. That something good should come out of it. But we all know life isn't that simple. You can do everything right. You can reach out to someone with love and compassion and kindness and model God's grace and nothing seems to change. Or worse, things can actually get worse. There's a price that we pay when we show love and kindness to others. And we've got to be willing to pay it. In fact, if we go back to the story of Jesus and the leper, it, it's, it's fascinating how this story ends. Did you catch it? Jesus reaches out in compassion and love and heals this man. Like, he changes this man's life. And in return, he asks this, this man to do two things. He says, don't tell anyone about what I've done for you and go to the priests and perform all the rituals. Did you catch that? And what does the man promptly do? He goes and tells everyone. Like Jesus asked him to do two things. I asked you to do two things and he can't even do the first one. He immediately leaves and he tells anyone that will listen, Jesus healed me. Now I'd like to think he was just super excited. He wasn't trying to disobey Jesus. He just couldn't help himself. But regardless... He does the exact opposite of what Jesus asked him to do. And there is a price for Jesus in this. Because, because of this man disobeying what Jesus asked him to do, Jesus and this man, in a sense, switch places. Whereas before, the leper could not go into villages and cities and had to stay outside of them, and Jesus was able to travel wherever he wanted. After this miracle, the, the man is healed, and now he can go into villages and cities. He can go into places. And now because of Jesus' popularity, because of this man spreading the news of the miracle, now Jesus is forced to stay away from the villages and the towns. There's a price that Jesus pays. And eventually, because of Jesus' teachings and his miracles, the price that Jesus will ultimately pay 
is the cross. But Jesus was willing to pay that price. And as we interact with others, it's tempting to think that if we don't see something happening, if we don't see results in our love, our compassion, our kindness, that we're wasting our time. But the reality is, we don't change people. God changes people. And our job is not to, to, to make things happen. Our job is not to see results. Our job is to love as God loves and allow him to work as he sees fit. We don't change people. So, so you, don't have to, you don't have to take that pressure into this week of I have to change the difficult people in my life. Guess what? You can't. God can. And he might use your love to do it. But regardless, your job this week is to simply show up in people's lives and love as God loves. And it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. Listen to Jesus' difficult words in Luke 6, 32 through 36. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I really wish Jesus didn't say that. I really wish he said, you know what, guys, here's what you got to do. Love people that love you back. Be kind to people that are kind to you. Be compassionate to people that are compassionate to you. Because guess what? I'm really good at loving people that love me back. And I bet so are you. But that is not the love that Jesus is asking his followers to demonstrate. Jesus is asking his followers to love people that don't love them back. To be kind to people that will not be kind to them back. To be compassionate to people that will not return their compassion. Jesus is asking his followers to do something very difficult. To love people as God loves them. Tomorrow you may show up in someone's life and you may push past the labels and the excuses and you may show them genuine kindness and love and care and thoughtfulness and they may do nothing in return. Or worse, they may reject your love and kindness. But in that moment, you're loving as your Heavenly Father loves and Jesus says more than that. He says your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. As you show up in people's lives and love them even when they're difficult, your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Some of you in the room may recognize the name Corrie ten Boom. Uh, Corrie ten Boom was born in 1892 in the Netherlands. Uh, in the 1940s, when the Germans invaded the Netherlands, Corrie and her family hid Jews from the Nazis. And eventually, in February 1944, she and her family were caught and sent to prison. Corey's father was in poor health when he was sent to prison, and so he died 10 days after being sent to prison. Corey and her sister, Betsy, were eventually sent to Ravensbrück Concentration Camp, a women's labor camp in Germany. Conditions there were horrible. 
And eventually, Corey's sister Betsy died on December 16th, 1944, in that concentration camp. Corey was released 12 days later, December 28th, 1944, and she would find out later she was released because of a clerical error. All of the women in her age group were soon after sent to the gas chambers. Corey witnessed horrific, horrible things at that concentration camp. And after the war ended, she was a Christian, and she began to speak out that Christians had a responsibility to forgive the Germans for what they had done. Well, that message got back to churches in Germany, and they asked her to come to Germany and share her message of hope and forgiveness with their congregations. So what would you have done if you were asked to go back to the country where so much of your pain and trauma originated? But Corey felt called by God, and so she went back to Germany and began to speak in Germany, in the churches, about how God forgives the Germans for what they had done. Well, one day after Corey spoke, she got off the platform, and she saw a man walking towards her, and immediately she knew who the man was. He had been a Nazi guard at Ravensbrück. Now, she had not mentioned in her talk what concentration camp she had been in, so he did not know that she had been in his concentration camp. And so he walked up to her, and he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, but since that time I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips. Will you forgive me? And he stuck out his hand. Corey writes that everything in her just froze. Seconds passed that seemed like an eternity. Everything in her wanted nothing to do with this man who had been at the camp where her sister had died. But as the seconds passed, Corey said she felt deep within her this urging by God to love and forgive him. That Corey realized, that in fact, it wasn't even about him. It was about her and her heart and her Heavenly Father. And so Corey writes that she stuck out her hand and grasped his and said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. Corey looked past the label. She pushed past a lot of good reasons and excuses. And she certainly paid a price in loving and forgiving that man. But that is what God calls us to do. So this week, as we go about running our race well, as we look for opportunities to bring God's kingdom down to earth, know that it's going to be difficult. That the race that God is inviting us to run is, is not going to be easy. That loving difficult people in our life will not be easy. And there, and there may be difficult situations where wisdom is involved to even know what that looks like. But as we love others well, God smiles down and he works through it. As we end, I want us to, uh, our amazing worship team is actually going to lead us in a beautiful song called For the One. And uh, I don't necessarily uh, want us to sing it, but I would love for you to allow the worship team to sing it over you and uh, allow it to be your prayer for the coming week. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love. 
Father, I pray that you would help all of us to be your hands and feet this week and to love the difficult people in our life. May you give us wisdom to even know what that looks like. Father, when people see us as we interact with them, may they not see us, but may they see you through us. In Jesus' name, amen.